people want something easy, people want something quick, and it's like, okay, here's something easy and quick. Let's see how far you get. And if you don't get the results that you want from it, okay, then we have to get more exacting and we have to make more changes. But my goal is to make the fewest changes possible to get the results you want. Hello and welcome to the Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings and every episode I have the privilege of having a discussion with E.C. on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, it's our goal to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you so very much for tuning into the show this week. I am here with just a quick introduction because this week we've got something special for you. EC recently sat down with Rory McKernan for a wide-ranging conversation about the three pillars method that EC has developed and has used to help thousands of people work through on their way to diet freedom. If you do not know Rory, he is a longtime CrossFit OG, having worked for CrossFit HQ for a long time. Before joining Rich Froning and the Mayhem crew down in Tennessee, you can find more of him on Instagram at Rory McKernan, R-O-R-Y-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N. I look forward to getting you this conversation. But before we jump into it, just a reminder, if you are not yet subscribed to The Consistency Project, wherever you are listening or watching this particular episode, please do. That will ensure you do not miss another episode. All right, without further ado, here is EC and Rory. Enjoy. Here's how I think we start is we, because we don't even know where you're listening to this show, whoever's right. listening, because literally the in, the calendar invite between me and EC was, we're talking all things nutrition, I think. I think. <laughs> I think that's what and Rory so, wants to talk about. Let's see what yes. happens. And so I'm stealing the reins. And so some of this may be repetitive for like longtime followers sure. of your program. Um, but I'd love to go like big picture. We'll see how granular we can get. Yeah. And we're, we're going to give ourselves a hard cap now at... 40 or so minutes because um, we stole all the best stuff for off the camera. You guys don't get to hear it. You know, that'll be uh, when uh, EC creates like a, you know, members only platform. Right. You gotta pay for it. You'll, you'll hear that stuff. Um, so I, I guess let's set the stage just big picture wise by um, we're old friends and associates. Yeah. And I, I kind of want for people who haven't heard your origin story, so to speak, to understand where you came from initially. And then we'll get into kind of how it evolved into where you are now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was working in environmental consulting post my first master's in Boston and just got sick of the gym routine like a lot of people do. And my brother had mentioned this CrossFit website that he found uh, as he was recovering from ACL surgery. So I just... Year is what? This is 2005 when I'm getting sick of my Globo gym routine. And so I was like, oh, God, I got to look at this CrossFit thing. And it just so happened that CrossFit Bo- uh, Boston had an affiliate, CrossFit Boston, which was rare at the time because there's only about 15, 20 affiliates at the time. So my New Year's resolution for 2006, of course, you had to start it in a new year, was to check out this CrossFit thing. So January 2nd, 2006, walked into CrossFit Boston. The workout was Grace. And that's how I got sucked slam, into CrossFit. Slam dunk. Yeah, yeah. Um, went to my level one that year. So it was three days, 150 people in Santa Cruz with all the specialty coaches like Coach B were there and all that stuff. And then just, I was the crazy person who kept going back to the level one. I just would fly myself around the country. And I oh, think, no yeah, yeah. If it was, in, I mean, if it was near the East Coast, right? Because they weren't as frequent. Um, they weren't like every weekend. So if it was like in Toronto, I would go. If it was in Pittsburgh, I would go. And so I th- 
you know, that was back in the time when you repeated your level one, you'd become trainers for the new people. And so that effectively, I became on staff, if you want to say it, that same year, 2006, but then it became a paid paid gig in 2008. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, it, and if you fast forward to there, like wh- where I kind of came in was, was about that time. Yeah. And so I took, by then it was, you took what was then the level two. So you took your level one, of course, you've got some practical coaching hours and then you took your level two, which was effectively a, a, a job interview. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did my level two with uh, Chris at Andy Stump's gym back oh, when it was his gym in Coronado. Uh, Andy Stump, who was, just terrified me at the time. Chris Spieler, Boz was there and um, did really well and got to come out of staff. And by then, you had already evolved really into a senior senior staff role. Mm, yeah. And so, but how often were you doing seminars and traveling the world? Yeah, not as much as some of the individuals because I had my full time job still as an environmental consultant, um, oh. and I kept wanting to do more CrossFit. So that kind of continued to increase as, as time. And so I then cut down to, I think, part-time or 30 hours at my environmental gig while doing then every weekend. And then eventually came on to CrossFit full-time in 2011, but that wasn't for the seminar staff position. That was for behind the scenes, writing content and developing the department as it was growing quite rapidly. So that's what I was doing with Dave and Nicole as a program manager for years. Um, while doing not as many seminars, but I would still kept that up. So I, I technically was doing seminars from 2006 to 2017. But so yeah, so came on full time for CrossFit as a program manager, lots of different hats, as, a, as you know, um, as the company was going and growing and started a nutrition degree in, I don't know, 2015 or so, because we needed continuing education credits. And that was kind of like, which was that during the time that preceded that, I kind of knew you as a nutrition expert, mm-hmm. right? And even even from the early days, you kind of messed around with Sherwood sometimes did like the, uh, the, zone what we call the, the Zone Chronicles and that kind of be your jam. Like, was it was it something you immediate glom, immediately glommed onto or was it always an interest even before just CrossFit? I think it was always an interest because my undergrad was in like biochem engineering and then I had a master's that had the focus in genetics. So like the biosciences was always interesting mm-hmm. um, and I'd always been into fitness. So when CrossFit started talking about, you know, the the physiology of nutrition and how it impacts performance, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. It turns out some of the stuff that I thought and believed in those early days, I've since uh, changed my opinion on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I certainly was interested in nutrition and became sort of, as you mentioned, a within-house um, nutrition person for CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and exactly what you just said of like mm-hmm. what we did, what that changed. Like, I want to get to that next. But so real quick to kind of put a ribbon on this. Yeah. You get that degree mm. and they just get hit like lightning, like, hey, this is really what I want to do with my life and kind of evolve where I take it. Pretty much. I wasn't really thinking it. I didn't even finish the degree. I just needed some credits um, for some continuing ed, but I liked it enough and was interested enough. And, and really, to be honest, I just needed a new challenge and change. Like, there was nothing wrong with my position at CrossFit, and I really did learn a lot and was there during a significant period of growth. But I actually had a meeting at one point. It was very, very close to the time I resigned when it was almost like a dreamlike state of like, oh, my gosh, if I don't do anything, this is the same position in 10 years. Um, and I just was like combined hmm. with interest in nutrition. I was like, I need to do something different. And so, yeah, then also ultimately resigned from CrossFit to start my own thing in, in nutrition once finishing that degree, which now was uh, 2018 is when I officially launched on my own. I, um, I can't tell you how much I respect the ability to have that realization mm-hmm. and to have the cojones, so to speak, to actually follow it. Because I'll, I'll tell you, the, tr- the, the God's honest truth is f- most likely if I didn't get fired by CrossFit, I would still be there mm-hmm. in largely the same role, largely doing the same thing. So mm-hmm. and one of the best things that ever happened to me. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, cool. So I think that sets the stage really well uh, for anybody who didn't know. They've at least got a, a passable understanding of, of what the background is. So let's kind of dig into that. Um, first of all, at the time, like it was meats and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, and no sugar in the quantities that support exercise, but not body fat. Mm-hmm. And we would harp on that, right? Quality, mm-hmm. quantity, and and all the iterations thereof. Um, it is a fantastic baseline. I think like everybody can agree, right? And, and certainly for from a public speaking background and then also a general understanding of nutrition, especially to be the person who's giving the, the discussion and have to have a working understanding of it. Um, both of them definitely have their merits. Um, so maybe we'll talk about what's what's good from that formula and then we can talk about how you pivoted off of it. Yeah, to be honest, I don't have much issue at all with those first two sentences and I'm so glad you said the first two sentences. Most of the time people stop after the first one, keep, uh, you know, eat meat vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar, and they think that's it. But that second sentence of keep intake to levels that will support exercise, but not body fat is, is beautiful, is absolutely beautiful. And I love that. And I would say that every day for those that are fitness interested, right? Other people don't always have a fitness goal. So I I could widen that a little bit, but obviously people coming to CrossFit do. And so there you go. (laughs) I don't really have much issue with it. I mean, I think one of the things about the hundred words of fitness, which those lead off, you know, think about any big topic that's complicated, like a hundred words is never going to perfectly describe every nuance and aspect and whatever. And so I think sometimes maybe even myself there for a period of time took it a little bit too literal. Like we have to believe every word in every case. It's like, no, 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 this is just a beautiful way to uh, describe what CrossFit is. And I don't know that I could do much better in two sentences for nutrition. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so it's just sort of like, let's take it for what it is. It's a beautiful, wide description that is supported with a lot of evidence. And I still agree with a lot of those two sentences. I think there's some nuance within the sentences of how it's interpreted within the community and within social media land that get a little bit off. Sure. But yeah, quality and quantity still reign supreme. So it's, yeah, it's, it's almost less, um, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's like, it's, it's really less subtraction and more addition of what's between those lines yeah. and, and like maybe a third sentence is like, and also consider. Right. Um, well, so. even just the fitness part of it started to cut you off there, but it's like, they'll talk about, you know, do all these different things like pirouettes, flips, splits, and holds. Well, let me tell you the last time I did a flip or a split, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Am I still not, am I not doing CrossFit because I'm not flipping and splitting? (laughs) Good point. So I sometimes think people got, again, myself included, got a little too literal with every single word to the detriment of really understanding kind of the intent and the broad application of it. Yeah, no, I I actually, I love that. uh, (laughs) I love that analogy, right? It it is perfect. So, um, but you lived it for a long time mm-hmm. and as you were digging in so like what were i mean we even go either chronologically yeah. or not just like but what were the what were the massive realizations and where were you like man i could i could enhance this for people or for my life or for people that i care about in this way yeah i'll speak more personally to the beliefs i held when implementing the diet um and not necessarily those words exactly but i did used to think for example that low carb was always better and that calories had less of a importance than they do I did used to believe that fruit in excess was a problem. (laughs) I did used to believe that things like vegetable oils and seed oils were like the root of all problems. I did used to believe that like food additives were really a big health problem. You know, what I still believe wholeheartedly is that the diet should be mostly whole unprocessed foods, but I don't have these as extreme beliefs about which whole foods are quote more ideal than others. 
And that's really where the second sentence is still so powerful, because we have to ultimately look at total quantity and what it's driving in terms of our output to then evaluate, you know, um, which foods to include more so than necessarily like, you know, eliminate the fruit and, and make sure you never have anything processed ever type of thing. And maybe actually, maybe it's the best idea is like, okay, so let's take that, we'll put it in a bucket, we'll put it to the side. From this, Optimize Me Nutrition is born. And so if, if, you were to, if you were to put the goal of the company or the philosophy of the company kind of into an elevator pitch, what are you trying to do? Yeah, I want people to understand nutrition. And as much as I love my own methods, they have to understand principles first. And just like CrossFit is not Fran on Monday and 5 by 5 back squat on Tuesday, it's constantly varied functional movements at high intensity. Nutrition is about understanding the principles of calories, macronutrients, micronutrients, sustainability, and putting them into play in a way that get the outcomes you want. And so that's that's actually my first message is my 10 principles of nutrition. And yes, I have a way to go about applying them, but they're a way to explain why people might get results on paleo or not, or mm. why people might get results on keto or not, or intermittent fasting or not, or my three pillars method or my 800 gram challenge or whatever it is. So I want people to have like this principle driven understanding to then be able to apply the tools, methods, or diets, whichever one you want to call them, um, into play for the outcomes that they want. And so I was heavily influenced by CrossFit and Greg to form with, to do what I wanted to do with nutrition. It's like, okay, what are the principles that we understand and believe? Okay, cool. Now, how are we going to go ahead and implement that? And you might end up choosing to do Fran and then back squats, but I might do Helen and deadlifts, right? And that's okay. Yeah, and that's okay. What I love specifically about your social presence is that I think that you're doing a great job of making it very accessible. Mm. But, um, and I'm sure like with any business, that's, that's part of the goal. Is there a target audience, so to speak? Because for example, like at the level one seminar, you have people who are pretty invested. And right. While they they may not have a working knowledge of nutrition, they at least were very interested in learning about it, and they had they had the basics down. Um, I think that's one of the most difficult things is reaching this wider audience. Who everything that you just said to me is like, yeah, I've been nerding out on this for a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that part of the goal is to reach kind of those people as well, or is this hey, you have to have a working knowledge of nutrition first in order to have this be part of your life? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I don't think social media is the place for those conversations that we just had, as you mentioned. So social media is not a place for nuance. (laughs) (laughs) No no true statement has ever been said. Social media is not, that's the problem. It's like, ultimately, I think people get so frustrated about nutrition and run into so many walls because they just want these quick tips and hacks. When in reality, if we just sat down for a minute and had some basis for understanding and understanding these principles, we would actually set ourselves up for success in the long term. Again, unfortunately, social media is just not the conversation for that. They're looking for the quick tip. So what's my quick tip? The 800 gram challenge. That's my hook. That's my, hey, let's get you focused on adding more whole foods than not in a sustainable way. So that's to eat 800 grams by weight of the fruits and vegetables of your choice and not really worrying about what else you eat. But it's basically starting to shift the balance towards a better quality and quantity because they've onboarded all these fruits and veggies so they don't have as much room for the chips and the cookies. And they're not restricting anything. So I start to get after the principles that way. Now, ultimately, assuming they have some success and interest, and wow, that was really interesting, what's next? And then I have a progression. So I kind of work the way through the progression, but my hook or my social media stuff is these really simple tips to get people to start eating more whole foods than not. 800 grams by weight, mm-hmm. break down, give me, give me a couple of examples because I'm sure you've been asked before. Yeah. What does that look like? It's about six cups, or it fits on a standard dinner plate. 
but you spread it out across the day. You don't eat it all at dinner. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> which, of course, is sometimes the CrossFitter approach, right? Like three, two, one, go, get it done, which unfortunately you'll just feel really uncomfortable and bloated. Basically, if you have cup, kind of two cups at each main meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you're going to get very close to 800 grams, if not more. And that's a great strategy. And people, it's almost... You know, I, I can't believe how much we're talking about CrossFit. I guess I can because I'm talking to you. <laughs> right. But like, you know, when you've probably opened CrossFit for the first time, you probably were like, that's it. Here we go again. That's it. That's all you're going to tell me to do with all this nutrition stuff out there. That's all you're going to tell me to do. Yeah, that's it. That's it. See how it goes. And it, Good. it hooks people because it's so simple. They don't have to give stuff up. And then they realize, oh, wow, this number is high enough that my diet has to shift, but it's not high enough that it's un unrealistic. I love it because of the simplicity and I'm, and I, I want to dig into like a little bit more of the why, but I'll push back a little bit too. Yeah, sure. it, it does sound so simple. And so theoretically, if I, what, what's the thought process of, I mean, if I pair these six cups of fruits and vegetables, obviously with soda and chips and things like that, I mean, is there, there's no counteracting mechanism. Like how, how do we, how do we, how do you kind of even that up? Yeah, it is true. I can't make calories go away. Um, so yeah. if you do your 800 grams of fruits and vegetables, then you continue to have your pint of ice cream, six beers. I can't guarantee weight loss at all. Um, if I could make cal calories go away, as I say to my masterclass group, I would be have more money than Bezos. <laughs> 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 so that's still a reality. But, you know, we're always fighting this balance of um, what am I willing to do to change and sustainability? People want something easy. People want something quick. And it's like, okay, here's something easy and quick. Let's see how far you get. And if you don't get the results that you want from it, okay, then we have to get more exacting and we have to make more changes. But my goal is to make the fewest changes possible to get the results you want. Let's start where you are. Let's start with a simple change. Let's see what we can drive. And then if that doesn't work, then we kind of keep tweaking and keep, keep going. Some of the things I've heard you talk about tangentially to this is... Um, in terms of creating those good habits. Like, so if you do commit yourself to these eight, uh, 800 grams, we'll call, I'm going to call it six cups because it's easy right. for me to pick. <laughs> um, which by the way is nothing for me. I'll right. do like, I know. Especially if it's like, if it's blueberries, like right. give me 13 <laughs> cups. Um, but, uh, it, it also, some, some of these people who are probably not eating multiple meals a day or they're under eating or they're eating a bunch of junk, it may help one with satiation, right? Cause they're having, they've got more in their belly. Totally. Um, and then the benefits maybe that they don't see, but feel would be that they're getting like the micronutrients that weren't included in the things before. That's the magic of the Asian gram challenge. They're filling up on things that don't have as many calories and more fiber and micronutrients. And so you know, again, when I launched it, most people that were doing it were CrossFitters. And the first results that I heard were not a lot of weight loss. I hear that more now as it's growing and grown. But in fact, it was feeling better, better recovery, better performance. And it's like, yeah, these, these micronutrients, turns out they matter for performance too. It turns out they matter for recovery as well. And so that's what a lot of people are getting. They're just filling up on lower calorie items. And that's really the magic. It displaces some of the foods that we're overeating. And, you know, I'll say this too, because as you know, I'm not the smallest person. You're, you're not either, but I'm not right, the right. smallest person. Um, even for me when I did it, because I actually tested the idea for six months to collect data on it and what counts and doesn't, what do the calories look like and what are the macros and fiber. So I looked at it a long time. And even for me, being someone who 800 grams is not that hard, no, no, no single day is that hard. The challenge yeah. reveals itself across six months and longer. And you look back and you're like, wow, I really did. I had to put in effort 
to make this kind of volume consistent in my diet. And my diet really has shifted for the better overall. So love that. kind of think about that too. It's like the accumulated value of it, even if every single day is not like necessarily optimal. But that's another big message. I think that anybody who, anybody who's not selling you bullshit is going to tell you is like small changes and good habits over time. Like the, if you lose 20 pounds in a couple of weeks, fantastic. It's not going to last. Right. And you probably, you probably got some unhealthy stuff going on inside of you as well. So um, yeah, that's an important message either way. Okay. So that's, that's the first, that's kind of the hook. That's how we get people involved and understanding and hopefully watching and, and learning and, and educating themselves more. Um, is lazy macros is next. Yeah. Tell me about lazy. I, I love the name because it's, <laughs> it's how I think I do macros, but I, I want to hear about lazy macros. So you keep doing the 800 gram challenge that still stays there. And now you also add a protein target. Um, and I set it at 0.7 grams per pound of current weight, unless you're 25 pounds or more away from your target weight, then you can go off a of target weight. But anyway, 0.7 grams per pound of um, weight for protein. And you add it in the same way. You just focus on adding protein foods now, in addition to your 800 grams of fruits and vegetables. And then you don't worry about the rest. You still continue to have your wine, dark chocolate, whatever. And really, it's just further displacement of the foods that we're overeating. You know, I've, I've yet to work with a client who's overeating like clementines and turkey breast, right? right so right. <laughs> we're now filling you up with the fruits and veggies and the protein and therefore even furthering diminishing the room that you have for the cookies, chocolate, whatever. And so it's a way to get quantity better in line. And I call it lazy macros because it's like, yeah, macros is all about quantity, but nobody likes to weigh and measure things everything all the time forever. And so that's really what I consider step two. I, I love that. And and just to clarify for me, is it a minimum of 800 grams? Mm. You could you could go as gangbusters as you want? Yeah. Yeah. I do set that as the minimum for everyone, um, which I do get some uh, pushback from, from my more smaller petite <laughs> individuals <laughs> and clients. But I like to remind people that the number 800 actually came from a study that was looking at 95 different studies. So they were pulling together data from 95 different studies of what happens to people who eat fruits and vegetable consumption. And so I know for a fact, those thousands and thousands of individuals they were looking at were not six foot tall plus CrossFitters. Right. <laughs> it was a right. number that's been borne out in the gen pop as like doable and feasible. And it's only about 500 calories. So even our small individuals can do it. Um, and so, yeah, I consider 800 a baseline. I typically average 900, 950, but certainly there are plenty of people who are over a thousand. And it's not that more is always better. It's just that, you know, yes, you can go higher because the caloric load is so low from them. Your protein though, you're like, you're tracking to a T. Mm -hmm. Sounds like Ish, 800 grams. Ish. I mean, estimating is still okay, but yeah. So you're tracking okay. your protein and you're tracking your 800 grams. So I start knocking that out of the park mm -hmm. and what comes next? Again, if you have the results you want, I'd say stop. I think there's this sort of obsession and nutrition of like, I have to do every last thing, classic type A persona. Um, when it's like, if that gets the body comp and performance improvements you want, just stop, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> but let's just say that they're not there. Then the next thing would actually be track total calories. And so this is my three pillars method. It's look at 800G in your diet, look at protein in your diet, and then now track total calories. Um, and what we find is that those other foods that round out the fruits and veggies and the protein, that tends to be where we have more than we thought. And that tends to be where we need to tighten down a little bit. Yeah, it's not, again, that most people need to cut back on like the turkey breast or the um, fruit. They need to cut back on what I call other. They need to cut back on the fun foods. And <laughs> they only really realize that when you kind of go through this process of weighing and measuring. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, and all those fun foods, because for me on 
not lazy macros, like strict macros, um, especially for comp body comp results, not necessarily performance, but um, I've been highly restricted on fat and it's a mm. very difficult life to live. But within that, within that um, composition you just mentioned, so is that is that fat? Do you find it to be fairly restrictive? Like once once you get to that third pillar. So I don't actually follow macros per se. Once we have calories controlled and you have your protein within that, I don't care how carbs and fat split, which is different than a lot of people. A lot of people yeah. who are either recommending macros or coaching macros want to see a specific split between carbs and fat. I don't care, especially for body comp and weight loss. We. The evidence shows that we don't need to care. So long as your total calories are right and you're getting enough protein, if carbs are 30% and, and fats 45 or vice versa, doesn't matter. And so I let people's food preferences dictate yeah. that. All right. So we, we've got three pillars to kind of go off of. Here's where things get tricky, I think. Because we get into psychology, oh, right? Dear, no. <laughs> and well, I you so you what you said was body body comp and yep. performance, yep. which I think are fantastic benchmarks. But awesome. I can speak literally for my family. Angie's she's in the gym often, um, mm -hmm. but for better or worse, all of us are. You're still probably scrolling Instagram or you're sent an article or whatever it is, and people always got the new, great, latest and greatest thing. And it's tough to it's a lot, it's hard for people to be like if they're not that type A personality, hey, I have these goals or I'm measuring my results in this way. Um, for clients who may be like, let's go away from CrossFit, let's say, and they're not necessarily an athlete, they're just somebody who's trying to stay generally fit, they work out on a semi-consistent basis and they're trying to follow this eating program. Like, are those the two? Do we go body comp and performance? And um, and are there any other things? Like, do you, do you recommend, it wasn't until I was, uh, 38 years old that I just like started getting blood work on a consistent basis and actually looking at those metrics, Good. right? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Um, and it, cause sometimes it's a hard sell. Like, look, I've been in the space for a really long time. And like I said, and even that was, was a, a threshold that I had to cross and, and find a way that it worked for me. So, um, it's a really long way to ask you, how do you, how do you kind of remeasure, reassess, and then reimplement? Well, I want to be clear that the three pillars are appropriate regardless of the goal. They're appropriate for health goals. They're appropriate for weight loss right. goals. They're also appropriate for fitness goals. So if people just want to be generally healthy, find me, like they're going to need micronutrients. They're going to need fiber. They're going to need protein, even from a health goal, because it helps support lean mass, which keeps on, keeps sarcopenia or the loss of muscle mass as you age away. Um, and they're going to need to control calories because weight is related to health. Uh, not the only predictor of health, careful there, right. but it's part of the health picture. And so it's like one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so strong about this three pillars approach is it's like, find me the goal out there that doesn't need these things. They all do. And so I'm not interested in improving somebody's body comp if they're not. You tell me right. the goal. If you tell me generally quality of life, okay, fine. We're going to do these three pillars and we're going to align them to whatever metric. Maybe it's your blood markers or maybe it's just that the fact that you can keep up with your kids. Great. We're still going to do them. Maybe your metric instead is I want to back squat 400 pounds. Okay, then that's the metric that we're using to kind of guide the three pillars. But I just wanted to point that out. It wasn't really the question that you asked, but I want to be clear that the three pillars is not just for body comp or fitness. No, it's it for is. general it, health it, as well. In a different way, it is a question that I asked. It's mm -hmm. great. because um, And I think that the answer is something that I know already, which is it's a very personal thing. Yeah. Um, so I guess maybe a better way to answer the question would be, um, like, what kind of pushback do you do you find with clients and then and how do you address it? Or do you not even do you not delve as much into the psychology or mm. coddling, so to speak? Um, I just find that a lot of people who are who are on track 
they're doing these things. They're slowly creating good habits over time. Their blood work is in the right place, but oh, it's bathing suit season's coming I up see. and I'm okay. not completely happy with where I'm at. How, you know, how do you keep them on track in terms of, look, drawing that picture of what health actually is mm-hmm. and where you're trying to go with it? That is a great question. So I see where you're going now. Yeah, we talk about it a lot in my master class. I really try also with my social media, and I want to be clear that I'm not against it, but it's it's part of my messaging is I do not show transformation pics. Hmm. Not because I'm against them. If people want to transform their body in a certain way and look a certain way, fine. But you have to determine what that picture is. I do not want hmm. it to be assumed that when you come to my master class, you're going to look like X. No, 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 hmm. no. Because there's lots of ways to be healthy and it doesn't always look like the cover of fitness magazine. In fact, and that's part of the part that I educate them with, where we find um, the body fat percentages associated with longevity are much higher than what we see on the cover of a fitness magazine. That it's 12 to 20% for men and 20 to 30% for women is associated with longevity, which is, again, much higher than what you see on the cover of a fitness magazine. And I also challenge people who are struggling with bathing suit season or the scale. It's like, what number or what number in your mind is, is really going to change something for you in your life. What's going to happen in five pounds difference? So the scale says 150 instead of 165. What really materially, like, tell me the details, what is really going to change for you? And so it's really pushing back on people and being like, what are you after? Like, because I think ultimately, there is a lot of emotion in the scale, or the body fat comp measurement. And yet, that will never confirm that for you. There will be no number that gives you happiness because happiness is not confirmed by a number, right? So I just pose all of those questions to people. Get clear in your mind what your goal is. I can help you with whatever that goal that is. But are you looking to be assessed or confirmed by something that can't give you what you're looking for? Yeah. And it's it's such an uphill battle, isn't it? It's like... um, Yeah. (laughs) It's not easy. I mean, it's easier uh, than done. (laughs) Right. And and again, I'll go back to CrossFit. Workouts and the community and all the things also attracted me greatly. but, But it was when I went to my level one and it was just so raw in your face like no bullshit um and the 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 way that that culture and community took and i and i think did tremendous um benefit to female body composition and the way that it's portrayed and things of that nature especially now that i have 11 year old girl even with the people that you have high access to you can either shout louder than the other people on instagram or do what you know which i think that you're doing a great job of which is educate better Mm. and hope that you can proliferate that far and wide. So to be honest, I love that about CrossFit The they were able to hang their hat on performance and they, by doing so, they essentially sidestep all of this weight body composition stuff. But I just don't have clients that are all interested in performance. They are interested in body comp and that's a valid goal. So long as you realize that that's the goal you're after and that you might not be happier at that goal. But I do think it's a really elegant way that you get around this whole scale and my body comp says this and it's like, tell me your pull-ups, tell me your back squat. We don't care what the mirror says, you know? Um, And so it's a really nice way to kind of get around that stuff. Yeah. And it's funny, ironically for me, is like, I'm no longer interested in increasing my performance. I've got more like life goals, you right. know? So it's almost later, later in my fitness career when I really started digging into nutrition and I was like, okay, wow. What if my activity level decreases tremendously while I'm aging, you know? And it's a, it's a fun process to kind of try and solve, but there's a lot of misinformation out there and there's a lot of dangerous paths that people can go down. Yes couple wrong clicks on social media <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have you seriously. in a rabbit hole <laughs> are you are you willing are you willing to give me like the most dangerous people or trends mm-hmm. or whatever that yeah. you're seeing these days like yeah. what, what oh, are those in your sure. i mean i'm not big on call outs especially sure. if their end message isn't that harmful like if they get the science wrong but ultimately people are eating more fruits and vegetables it's like ah, all right whatever but sure. yeah 100 carnivore diet 
stop like mm-hmm. harmful 100 harmful um and like the message that saturated fat doesn't matter <laughs> also harmful now right. i think what happens again there's just not a lot of nuance um in social media and so you know that clip that i just said could be interpreted as ec hates saturated fat and it's like no 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 i i think saturated fat can be part of a healthy diet it's just that it should not be a large percentage of your diet, nor should you think that there's an unlimited amount of saturated fat that you should have in your diet. So I think those are a couple interesting trends that are harmful. I loved your recent video where you're like, hey, if I listen to, if I listen to social media right. about what I can and can't eat, and it was like, what was eggs were unhealthy oh, yeah, recently, yeah. and you couldn't have you know apples or whatever the hell it right. was. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just it boggles my mind how complicated people can make it or how they'll glom onto one very particular thing. An interesting one that I, I used to get in fights oftentimes were um, you covered like diet sodas. Sorry, that's like controversial. <laughs> well, you're like, look, it can be part of a, it can be part of a healthy diet, right? I find that there's just all, these like two sides or dichotomies in kind of the social media land. It's like one, people are willing to go sign up for any supplement out there that's like gonna be associated with longevity and yada, yada, yada. The supplement industry is so unregulated. It's like the wild west. I mean, there's no quality control. There's no even efficacy in the sense that like the supplements say, make some claims. You don't actually have to show that the supplement does that to bring it to market. So everyone's like, okay, what supplements should I take? And they'll take them freely. And then we've got these additives like aspartame and Diet Coke that have been tested forward and back. And they go through these whole processes to make sure that they're not toxic. And they make sure that the levels that we're exposed to across a life are not (laughs) harmful. And there's so much regulation around them. It's like the additives in the supplements are more tested than the supplements themselves. And yet people are so willing to take the supplements and then be so fearful of these things that do have a lot of regulation around them. And that doesn't mean that I think that we should just blindly follow the government on everything they say, but it's just like recognizing and bringing that same cynicism to everything. If you are going to have that cynicism, right? Like you shouldn't just be like, oh, great. So-and-so said to take this supplement (laughs) and then just be like taking it and then be like, oh, well, I don't drink diet soda. It's like, oh my gosh. Wrong, wrong cynicism. You're fighting the wrong battle. Yeah, yeah. You're not promoting supplements, but you do have, um, what'd you call it? You got like a worth a shot bucket. Worth a shot, yeah. What what is a, what like, what what do you put into that bucket? Yeah. Not not necessarily specific things. Like, what does that mean? Like, this is something where there's enough science now that's gotten your attention? Pretty much. And it is two supplements for um, specifically performance goals that I put in the worth a shot bucket. And those are caffeine and creatine. And there is enough repeated evidence to show that they help uh, performance, not in all cases, but in a lot of cases. To me, something is worth a shot when it's like the effect that we see in the literature is clearly above the placebo effect. So there's plenty of cases where people are told like, oh, this supplement's going to improve your back squat. And then their back squat improves. But when we do a clinical trial, we don't see that it it moves the back squat that much. It might be like 1%. Well, I'm like, well, 1%. I mean, most of us can improve more than 1% just by training consistently. So I'm not going to worry about that. When, But with caffeine and creatine, we start to see performance enhancements of like 5% or more. I mean, even creatine can be upwards of 15%. That's That starts to be interesting. And it's now, got a lot of years now, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's like hundreds of studies. That's the other thing, too. I mean, some of these supplements that people are taking, there's not even like a clinical trial on it. But then creatine has like over 300 studies out there and 70% of them show a positive performance effect. And it's like, okay, cool. This was measured, observed and repeated. (laughs) Where some of these other ones haven't even been like 
clinically tried. Um, so yeah, so it's enough of a performance bump that it would be of interest to even what I would call the recreational athlete or the 99%. Now the Matt Frasers, the Rich Fronings, they can take everything under the sun that might get them the 1% because 1% is what wins. Right. But that's just a different ball game. It doesn't mean that the supplement's actually helping the performance. They might believe it helps the performance. There's all these other reasons why they might dabble in this stuff, and I have no problems with that. It's for the 99%. Where do we see a performance improvement that actually would be something meaningful? It's the same reason that they may be doing backflips and pirouettes, and we're right. just going to go ahead and <laughs> maybe do handstand push-ups. Maybe. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> okay, we promised ourselves we're going to give a hard stop, right. but I just want to come uh, finish it with a couple of questions questions. We may have covered it in some of these subtexts before, but what, what in your opinion is like the biggest challenge that's facing gen pop, any people in general, when it comes to health in the form of what they put in their mouth? If I had to limit it to one thing, I would say the modern food environment. It's really hard. These foods are delicious. I say that as somebody who eats a lot of fruits and vegetables. Yes, ice cream is great. So are cookies. And it's everywhere and it's constant. And you can't go buy a set of bed sheets and not be tempted to buy some type of candy bar or popcorn when you leave those home goods stores. Or when you go buy a TV, you have the option to buy, you know, peanut butter cups or a gas station or a drugstore. Like name the thing and it's like food is everywhere. So that is really, really challenging for people um, to, especially if they're used to eating those foods, it's even harder and it's everywhere and it's in your face constantly. The second thing I would say, even though you, I wanted to try to limit to one, but I, I will as get ma- as many as you got. <laughs> I'll give one more. Um, I think there's always this premise that like old stuff is outdated and wrong. And like now we have this new cutting edge science. I'm confident that at least in our lifetime, it's the basics that work. If there was some magic pill that could replace, um, you know, fruits and veggies, protein and, and calories, I'd be all on board with it. But there isn't. It's more whole foods than not. It's good sleep. It's exercise regularly. Those are the hacks. And un- unfortunately, like people will be like, no, no, I've got this cutting edge science. And so I think we're detra- distracted by shiny things, I guess is the shorter way to say that. Yeah. In my, in my fitness analogy, like the barbell lives on, but Bowflex has gone the way of the dinosaur. You know? like, <laughs> <laughs> do you track your biometrics with any mm. way? Shape? And, and do you feel that's important? Or is it just more of a curiosity for you? For me, it's, it's almost like a curiosity. I don't really, I don't affect my lifestyle based off of it. I just find it interesting. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to hear your take on it. Yeah, I track whatever gets measured at the doctor for the typical annual physical. Mm. Um, so that typically is like a comprehensive metabolic panel. You're going to get like fasting glucose. You're going to get cholesterol. Sometimes they'll do thyroid. That's kind of like a semi-annual, th- or not semi, but every couple years biannual thing. Um, you know, if there's some issues, they'll take more tests. But I'm certainly not one of those people who's taking every metric under the sun. There's a lot of unvalidated metrics out there that it's like, well, what are we going to do with this? We don't really know what it does. <laughs> You don't you, you don't you don't have a whoop and an aura ring and a no, Apple Watch all no. tracking different No, I think a lot of those things the best value they bring is that they help people create the habit change. Yeah. It's not the data the, the data on on the whoop especially in terms of heart rate variability whether you should train or not. I don't want to, you know, um it's just not that accurate. But here's the thing, if that helps people train more consistently, that's the value. It's the same yeah. thing with logging nutrition. It's not or even logging your CrossFit workouts. The value is not that you logged it, but it's in the fact that you actually did it. And so if logging it helps you show that you're having progress, then great, log, because then you're motivated to keep training. If the Whoop helps you, that I think one of the best things that Whoop does is help people sleep more consistently. Yes. 
So it's what I use it for. Exactly. It could, it could, if if I it could helps be a two percent recovery, yeah. I'm still going to work out. If it helps drive the habit change, that's the value of it. Let's close with the big one. So um, fast forward into your life, looking mm-hmm. back, what? How do you define success with regards to your your prod your professional projects? Um, what needs to happen for you to be content? Like, what are the mm. what are the big goals? Yeah, I like the track that it's on now. I have to say, you know, even on those days when I actually feel like the universe is um, is definitely listening. On the days that you're ready to throw the phone or whatever it is through the window, somebody happens to write like a thank you note or mm. tells you some sort of transformational story, and you're like, all right, universe, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, yeah, but it, you know, this has definitely been rewarding in the sense that I very much hear from people and I. Hear hear like that things have improved because of the work that I'm doing. And so that is very rewarding. Um, And so I just hope to scale it to reach more people, right? I think I'm still kind of at a smaller audience scope and that I'd like to just be able to reach more people with some things that help them live um, kind of just a healthier and higher quality of life. We will definitely do our best to get the word out. And I hope that people enjoyed this wherever they're listening from. I'm going to start the, I'll start the 800 gram challenge on Monday. I don't, I'm going to say this. I don't want to get too cocky. I think sure. it's going to be easy for me because I eat. I'm in a very high carbohydrate state You're of mind right mammal. now. You're a large mammal. I'm a large mammal. And uh, did I tell you that I'm – so I've, I am going to do a full Ironman triathlon in October that I'm not prepared for. Okay. <laughs> but carb consumption is at an all-time high. But, um, yeah, I look forward to giving it a shot and, and hoping to spread the word. Yeah, awesome. I'm looking forward to hearing your results. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show this week. Thank you to Rory for his time and his great questions. One more time, if you are not yet subscribed or following the show wherever you are listening or watching this particular episode, please do. That way you do not miss a future conversation that EC and I have. Speaking of, she and I will be back next week for a new episode of The Consistency Project.